1: Scoliosis is a medical condition where a person's spine twists and curves to the side. It can affect anyone of any age, but it usually develops in children aged between 10 and 15. 23-year-old Alex Earl was diagnosed with the condition in 2009, and three years later, in 2012, she was told she would need major surgery to fix the curve in her back, which was growing an inch every year. The Australian... Who lives and works as a teacher in Chelmsford was booked in for the surgery the following year and that's where the name the girl with the iron spine comes from as she now literally has an iron spine with metal and screws all the way down her back. Following the major surgery Alex subsequently landed in the fitness world after her lung recovery meant she was unable to do any strenuous activity for months. As she sought to get her strength back She came across a number of Instagram accounts that taught her specific routines, but also, more importantly, the right levels of balance to make it a success. Fast forward to the present day, and Alex has an Instagram account of her own, and a blog, and she is putting across those important messages to her own following. For everything regarding fitness, to moving to a new country, and dealing with major surgery, people know they can get advice from the girl with the iron spine. Brought to you by Essex Live, this is Humans of Chelmsford and this is Alex Earle's story. Alex, it is a very warm welcome to the show and thank you for being a guest on our latest episode of the podcast. How are you doing today?
0: I'm great. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, no, good. Just, you know, uh, just your typical after school kind of thing. Exactly. It's
1: what you do on a normal day to day basis. Yeah, pretty much. Now, so you're essentially the self-proclaimed girl with an iron spine. (laughs) And the reason behind the iron spine is scoliosis. yeah, uh, A condition where someone's spine twists and curves to the side. So we'll begin at the start, which I believe was in 2009. Yeah. When you first realised there was a problem, what was it that caused you to actually realise, hang on, something's not quite right here?
0: Okay. Um, I was actually at boarding school and just making my bed and I got this weird kind of sharp pain and collapsed onto the bed, essentially, and... Um, everyone was like, so I just kind of laid down on the bed um, and the pain kind of subsided, but it was still a little bit sharpening, kind of sharp pains. Um, that weekend I was luckily going to my cousin's and they pretty much were like, okay, we'll just take you to the doctor, see what's happening. Um, so they took an X-ray and he pretty much the doctor just said, oh, you have scoliosis. And I was like, what the hell is that? I have no idea thought maybe I was dying, but probably not. Um, and he just explained, yeah, it's just pretty much the curve of the spine. And that's, yeah, where it started. It wasn't as bad then as it is was towards after a few years. But, yeah, that's where it came from. Yeah,
1: yeah. when you hear a big scary word like that, mm. scoliosis, and you don't know what it is, what does go through your mind? In-
0: uh, at the time, I think, I feel like I overreacted. But I was like, okay, I know all the cancers I feel. So it's definitely not like that. But... I just generally had no idea and I was like okay maybe I'm dying looked at my cousins my auntie and was like what the hell kind of started freaking out crying and the doctor's like it's okay it's nothing bad like it's just something to do with your spine and then he explained it and I felt much better like it was just one or two seconds where I was like okay this is a little bit scary yeah
1: and the condition comes in various different forms you can have your mm. S curves and C curves Yeah. which one did you have and how did it actually affect you
0: Yeah, um, I had the S curve, which the doctor had said that I was quite lucky with that because it evens out, Um, whereas if you have the C curve, it's kind of to one side, so it affects you a lot worse. Um, With that, um, my bottom curve was quite, the degree was a lot more than my top one, so I was leaning to the side a little bit. Um, But other than that, like between the difference of C and S, there's not a huge difference, um, except for the fact that there is more of a lean if you do have a C-curve, pretty much.
1: So how do you, do you manage that? Because surgery eventually becomes mm. your option, but mm. it was actually a few years yeah. from your initial diagnosis to you actually having surgery. Yeah. So what prompted the move to actually go down the surgical line?
0: Okay, well, it was, yeah, so I found out 2009 and then throughout the years, pretty much the doctors were like, just have checkups every six months and we'll see how it's going. And through those, I think three-ish years they were like yeah no you're fine degrees are growing a little bit but you're going through puberty still so there's nothing really Um, they did say you could get a brace but I was too far gone for that so I couldn't exactly um, have a brace because there would have been no point to it waste of money Um, but they were like you're not too bad where you didn't need surgery so it's just kind of in between it's, it's a waiting game so um, yeah so 2009 I was in year nine so I was about 15 16 um, and then it wasn't until I was about 18 where they were like okay you've gone through puberty um, you've had your x-rays and they like I had a lot of checkups all the time um, changed doctors because I had gone over age um, so I had to go to an adult doctor um, adult doctor adult hospital and um, and that's when they're like, okay, it's clearly becoming a problem because it's not stopping, it's getting worse, and your pain's getting worse as well. So that's when they're like, surgery needs to be done.
1: Was that a relief in the end? Because there's yeah. the pain side, but I suppose there's the, the aesthetic side as well yeah. and the way you look.
0: Yeah, they said I could have the surgery before that for cosmetic reasons, and I wanted to because I felt uncomfortable, especially at a young age, being a girl at school. I was very self-conscious about it. Um... And, But my parents were like, well, we're not paying all that money just for you. So I was like, okay. So I waited it out. And then when they told me, I, I was actually generally happy. And mum was freaking out. But I was was like, well, I've always wanted this. So I'm happy to go ahead with it. Um, yeah, because of the pain, um, I really wanted to get... Like, it was... I was, it was in constant pain towards the end. Um, and then also for the cosmetic reasons, really. Like, I wanted to not be and like i don't know i think when i get older as well it got as it got worse like i was getting my body image was getting worse as well because it i just didn't feel nice about it so generally yeah i was happy about it
1: yeah you talk about your teenage years there and for many people Mm. it's it's quite a reflective year um time in your life you can be very self-conscious about it and when you've got something like that do you look back on those years as a particularly nervous moment where you weren't that confident in yourself because of it
0: Oh, yeah, and I wasn't one of the skinny kids either. I was one of the, not fat or anything, but I, had, I was one of the pudgier ones, I guess. Um, so I always had that self-conscious side. And with the spine, because it was bent, like I had this huge kind of, um, had no spinals to the right-hand side of my body. And so um, it's hard to explain and not really show it. but um, And it looked like this big fat roll on the side of me. And that was just because there was no spine there, so it had this huge indent. And that always got to me like I was never the kid wearing a bikini, anything like that at the beach. Like I always had to cover up. Um, And I was on the bigger side, so I wasn't that comfortable at all. And as well, knowing about my spine, it just made it even worse, I think, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So
1: I think I'm right in saying that when the initial decision was made to have surgery, you waited a year before you actually had it, Mm -hmm. and that was... Primarily so you can get the first year of university out of the way. Yeah, um, Good decision?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, because I am had, got a PE degree in teaching, they were like, you don't want to have the surgery just before uni because you want to make friends. You don't want to be kind of not being able to move. You want to socialise, do all the sporting things, etc. Um, so, like, you'll just go into that um, and... Have your first year and not worry about it. So, and it was such a it was a great idea because, especially my first year of PE teaching, that was all the sporting side. So, the next three years, there was a lot more academics to it. Um, so, that kind of worked out as well because, obviously, after the surgery, I wasn't able to do much for a while. And then I also had those friends from uni who would help me um, through those two weeks and were there for me as well. So, it was really nice.
1: And you use that opportunity as well to, I suppose, educate people about mm. what it was as well. Yeah, because um, I think it's more. It's more common than we realize, Mm. but we don't often notice it or pay attention to it.
0: Definitely. Um, A lot of people, when I told, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm having surgery these holidays, they're like, for what? And they'll be like, scoliosis, and they'll have no idea what it was. And so a lot of people now do, people still ask me, they're like, what is that? And so it's great to educate them because it is a thing that's currently increasing, I think, as well. I don't know if it's because I know more about it now, but I definitely do find a lot of people do have it. Um may not be as severe, but they still have something there. And it's a lot more common in girls as well, females. So um, I did actually have a friend of mine as a guy who went through sc- scoliosis surgery as well at the same time as me, which was weird, but in a different hospital. But, um, yeah, it's much more f- common in females, and I had a lot more female friends, and they were intrigued by it, yeah.
1: So when surgery day or week mm. comes around, are you apprehensive before that?
0: I... <sighs> I guess so. I think my mum more was. She was researching all the time. She was ringing up people that had had it before and asking, like, what can I do? What should she do? What's some advice? Whereas I was just more like, yeah, like, didn't really think about it. I think I more put it to the back of my mind to help uh, with coping with it. But like I said, I was keen for the surgery. So I think that's what made me more fine with it Um, it wasn't until literally the hour before where the bed rolled up to me and we're like okay we're going to take you away now is when I started crying and just all the emotions came out then otherwise before that there was not a moment where I was really worried at all which was I think a good thing in the long run yeah
1: certainly sounds like a good thing in the long run because it is very major surgery but Mm. reading your blogs about it and the way you've written about it in the past demean is like your doctor that you had where he's so calm that must put you at ease as well.
0: Oh my God, he was the most chilled out person I've ever met. And I really wanted to talk about more on my blog, but I felt like it was getting too long. But he was so chilled out. He was my second doctor. So he was the one that I went to after I had gotten to a certain age and they couldn't take me anymore. And he was one of the best in Australia. So mum and dad were like, we don't care how much. Like, we want the best. We don't want something to go wrong. Um, And he was just... He's done it for so long. He does two a days, uh, five, five, six days a week. Um, And he was just, he would just come in with a coffee and be like, okay, we all ready? And I'd be like, excuse me, I'm hooked up here. Like, you come in with a coffee, you're late. Like, what is going, he's like, it's fine, Alex. Like, I've done this so many times. Like, I don't need to, like, prepare. It's. Yeah, he was and he would just casually come in, um, after the surgery, which was always a nice thing, and he'd be like, How are you going? Okay. He'd do a quick talk and he'd just walk out and be like, Okay, bye, like it was it was weird, but it was cool. Like it was nice to have someone like that, especially when I've got mum who's like freaking out and then I have him to like chill mum out as well.
1: Is exactly, that so it all balances out in yeah. the end and that actually works quite nicely. Yeah. yeah. So effectively it was two bouts of surgery on different sections of your back the second surgery was not such a success, primarily mm. in terms of the treatment afterwards. Mm. What, what kind of things are we talking about there?
0: The first surgery, all of that went fine. It wasn't even the surgery. Like, my back was fine both times. It was literally the nurses. Um, and I was in a lot more pain the second time round, which we were told it would be the opposite. Just it was a lot more discomfort. I was obviously had the two surgeries, um, and so I was more cooped up and the whole of the back was in pain Um, the nurses in the second time round they weren't as friendly they were just more not bedtime manner their bedtime manner was not good and it was just more like get it done get an x-ray done rush you in rush you out would give you food and then leave give you the pills etc whereas the first week they were so nice they'd talk to you they'd ask about your life they would be very calm and they'd try and help you whenever they could so it was just It was weird because it was the same hospital, same kind of area. It was just, I don't know, just different people that were looking after me. Um, It didn't make it worse. It just wasn't as nice as the first week. But either way, like I'm not going to have it. I'm glad I didn't have two bad weeks. So, yeah.
1: One of the striking things for me as well is the helicopter (laughs) ride back home where you were promised some drugs, Mm. but they weren't drugs. Yeah. What, What is that like to go through?
0: It was horrific um because I live five hours from Sydney um and the drive home would have been ridiculous like stopping and starting it would have turned into a 10-hour ride um they were like yeah helicopter and then mum was like okay what about the drugs what should we do about that they're like oh we'll give them to you like we give them to the uh, the paramedics that are on the helicopter um they'll have it all so don't worry so we were like okay okay gave me something just before I went um say goodbye to mum because she obviously had to drive home and I got to like the airport where the helicopter is and I was like oh I'm starting to feel a bit more you have my pills and they're like no and I was like sorry what they're like we didn't get anything from you and I was like okay and I I can't really remember but I think I had my phone I think i I don't know what happened there because I don't remember texting mum or dad. I think I was like, I don't want to worry them. I will be fine. Um, They said, we can give you this breathe-in thing. So, I breathed in this, like, panadol type thing. I don't know what it was. Um, And it kind of subsided, but, like, for 15 minutes. Um, And then otherwise, that was all that I got. Um, So, I was – the journey was about, like, an hour and a half, I think. And I was in a lot of pain. I think I was trying to, like, fall asleep on there. It was very claustrophobic in there. It was very tiny. I was lying down. I couldn't see out windows. It was a very weird journey. And um, just trying not to really think about it, to be honest. And then dropped. We got to my town, but then I live on the outskirts, so I had to get in an actual ambulance. And then that was rocky. Still didn't have any pills, and they didn't have anything for me. The best that they could do was give me paracetamol, but that wasn't doing anything at all. Um, and I got home, and I said to Dad, I was like, I'm going to bed, I have no pills, I've had the worst journey, just went to bed, and so Dad rang Mum and was like, you need to get here ASAP, because she's, I was just, it was, I was just trying to supply it because I hate, I didn't want my parents to worry, so I just kind of put on a tough act, I guess, and got to bed and was like, oh.
1: And, and just rode it out as best yeah. you can. Yeah, and then when Mum
0: came, I was like, hand them to me now, <laughs> give them to me. <laughs> yeah. S-
1: so then the recovery from that... Mm. How long does it take you before you actually feel like you can do stuff again?
0: Well, so you have the two weeks and then I got home and they say you have to start walking. So the first few days I didn't do anything. I just laid in bed, sat up, obviously went to the shower and stuff. Um, eventually they are like, okay, you have to start walking. So I walk around my veranda after the first week and try and do more and more each time. It wasn't until six weeks where I was felt physically much much better um, and we went on a holiday and much better but the walking thing it was like I obviously knew how to walk but my stamina and my lungs and everything were just weak um, and so I the first time that I did a proper walk I was puffing and I felt I don't it's because I've never obviously been a really big person or I've never I don't know it's just like but my lungs and I was breathing so heavily and it was this weird thing and I was like okay I'm really out of breath like I've never had this even after running cross country for like two kilometres or something like it was this weird pain and it was only for a few hundred metres and walking very slowly as well and mum and dad were like it's fine it's just what you have to go through and eventually that got better and I got further and I wasn't feeling so out of breath Um, but really you feel so much better after six weeks and then you can't really start doing stuff until three months. But yeah, was that walking was all... Was that
1: ever frustrating? like mm. So infuriating that you used to be able to do all this stuff, mm. run 2K, whatever it may be. Yeah. And then suddenly you're out of breath yeah. when you're doing a walk.
0: Because mm. um, I was a very active kid and I loved... And it was a beach holiday, so I couldn't really go surfing. I couldn't really do anything really I I had to go in the way so my mum had to be in front of me so they wouldn't bash me over Um, and I was a team sport like I couldn't play netball for a while I couldn't play netball for six months Uh, rugby for eight uh, nine months or something like that Um, and then the gym was the only thing that I got into after three months because it was the only thing that I was able to do because they told me like you have to try and get your cardio up and get your heart going well get it stronger again um, and your lungs so It was frustrating because I was such an active kid. And I, lying in bed for those six weeks, it was horrible. Like, I... Because I'd be watching videos, like, and that was the only thing. And because I was in a country town, all my friends were in other country towns. So, I couldn't have those friends come over just like that. So, was it isolated then as well? Yeah, yeah. And, like, my brother was out doing stuff. Mum and Dad were having parties because it was Christmas time. And I was just sitting in bed going, like, okay, this is, like, not that great. But had to be done I guess yeah
1: and, and that brings me on perfectly to the fitness aspect mm. Um because before surgery that wasn't really that much of a focus in your life but mm. after surgery it certainly becomes the yeah. main focus was building your strength up yeah some kind of the main focus what drove you down that line
0: yeah um because the doctor did say he's like you have to make sure your c- core is very strong <coughs> to hold up your spine I think it was because I was so cooped up, I was like, I want to get – because I did gym a little bit before, but I had no idea what I was doing and I just kind of went and did stuff. Just Jumped on a machine and used it. Um, And I wanted to get back to it because it was something that I enjoyed, but it was something that I was allowed to do with the spine. So I was like, okay, I'll go into it. And I found this program, which I fell in love with, and I was doing that. A lot of the exercises I had to modify because obviously I couldn't do it. But doing that, because I did the program three times, I could see myself getting stronger and stronger, um, which was amazing. And literally that year, I just fell in love with fitness and the gym and I wanted to know more, I wanted to learn more. And, yeah, so it was, I probably might have gone into it, but it was initially because of the surgery that I got into it then.
1: We were talking a bit before we started recording about how your spine in in its current state... Mm. If it affects anything, but you don't really have something to compare it to Yeah. in the past.
0: Yeah. Um, like, because there's not as much flexibility and doing squats and deadlifts and I'd never did that before surgery, uh, before surgery so I can't really compare it, but I can tell um, from looking at others and how um, their technique is, it's much different to mine, but I've tried to fix it and I just physically can't because I can't move my spine it hasn't frustrated me as much because I can't compare it to before so that has been nice as well but on the other hand it's like it would be nice because I can't lift as much as I think I could because of that as well I worry about putting too much strain on the spine and making it horrible for the future really
1: interestingly it started off as primarily a weight loss thing Mm. but then it became a strength building thing. was there something that triggered that
0: yeah so I wanted to lose weight um, and I was yeah, like I've, like I was saying before, like I was never like the skinny kid or anything. So I have always wanted to lose the fat. And then it wasn't until I moved to the UK actually, and I started to learn more, I started to gain knowledge and look at people in the weights area, and I was like, okay, maybe I could get into something like that. Um, there was always this thing of like, you've probably heard like women in the weight section, you're gonna get bulky and look like a man, and it's like, well, that's not that's not true, and through Instagram, I saw a lot of people doing this and following them and doing their actual different programs um, was how I learned from it and I wanted to become that tone and I wanted to be a really strong person, I didn't want to be weak or fragile um, and people, because of my back having that excuse, I didn't want to use it as an excuse to be weak and so I wanted to become a lot more stronger and not have people, me having to rely on other people for things that I have to do in everyday life really
1: There seems to be a lot more of these positive messages coming out Mm. about women in particular and doing that type of exercise and that type of fitness. You look at the the This Girl Can campaign, for example, Mm. over here. Are those messages still few and far between or are they getting better? And do women still need more of those positive messages?
0: It's gotten so much better. It still needs to become better, but it has... Since I first started and stories that I hear... um, where it's, pe- girl, women wouldn't go in the weight section because they'd feel judged by men in there and um, it's become a lot more nicer for women. It's um, The messages out there, Instagram females out there, they're huge influencers with huge followings and they can show you that there's nothing to worry about. If you prove yourself and you work on yourself then there's nothing to worry about and you just put your headphones in, listen to your music and don't look at anyone else and you forget about them and that's what I did and I've never had the problem, I think I've always been a confident person in that way, I've never had that problem but I do know a lot of girls that I've talked to and they are so worried like even my friends are like I get worried that people are looking at me I'm like if they're looking at you then they're not working on themselves like a lot of people in there don't really care what you're doing And if they are, then that's their own fault. They're clearly self-conscious about something. So, yeah. And I think it does need to get um, better for women and be not as... I don't know what the word is, but it is getting there, I think, definitely. Especially through Instagram and these fitness people.
1: Yeah, turning to Instagram then, Mm. because you obviously have your own Instagram account that has built up something of a following. What are the main messages you try and put out through that to your followers?
0: My main one I try to is scoliosis. Um, I try to talk about it a little bit and I've had so many people um, direct message me privately and just ask all these questions. A lot of girls that are going and having surgery and they ask me, like, what's your advice, all of that, which has been great. Um, But another message is really the fact of nowadays, which is changing a lot, is that not everything on Instagram is real. And... Um, also the positive messages about girls as well and doing stuff in the gym but my other main one is not everything is real on there Um, people take a thousand photos and they pick the one good one and they don't show the bad one people who have these huge followings of 8 million people they only show the good things in their life but they do go through the struggles they do go through struggles in their life as well but a lot of people look at them and they look up to them going oh my god their life is so perfect but a lot of people now that I follow as well and I've tried to show through photos um, is that it's not, like, not everything's 100% in their life perfect. They just show the good stuff because that's what gets them likes and everything, so.
1: And you, you want to show that. Yeah, you real stuff like,
0: and people that Photoshop as well, like, there's the extent where you can edit a photo, which, yeah, I am I do that. I edit, like, I make it a different colour or something, but there's people that Photoshop to make their ass look, bit, bit, big, uh, look be- better, bigger. Or their waist a little bit smaller, and I just think it's just fake. Like, when you see them in real life, you're like, okay, you don't look like that on Instagram. Why are you showing it? It's all just for a following, really. So I try and put those messages out there, and a lot of people that have your bigger impact and a bigger influence are doing that as well, which is amazing. So it's becoming a lot more prevalent as well, I've seen this year with that.
1: Was that a strange thing to do at first? Because you are essentially opening yourself up yeah. to an entire community. Yeah. Is that, is that something you've gradually got used to as time has gone on?
0: Yeah. Um, with my first, I think, I can't really remember what the first one was, but I remember it was like a really bad photo of me, I think on the beach or something, and then compared to one that I had uploaded previously. And I was like, it's not always like this. Like, I do not look like this all the time. And in saying that, like, I don't exactly have the best photos. I'm not really, I'm not, I don't, mind too much about my content it's more just I want to put out the messages out there through my writing and stuff but with that photo I was very self-conscious and also progress photos like that's a huge one because you're technically in your underwear showing your progress but you're showing off a lot and especially you love your photo now but your photo before it's a bit like okay I don't really want people to see that but I want them to see how far I've come and it is daunting at times I do get a lot of comments from people saying okay that's a lot to put out there and I'm like well it's just what I want to do I want to help people know that that can happen like the transformation like you can do it the other one the pro i like, showing like how what's real and what's not like that happens as well like it's fine to show it
1: and that comes with your your blogging as well yeah where you're opening yourself up because you've obviously talked about yeah. the scoliosis journey the fitness journey but yeah. then there's relationship things and there's motivational yeah. things as well yeah again is that something that the response does it make it all worth it when you're opening yourself up
0: it is a little bit scary and i think that only with a certain few things like do become personal and i'm a bit like oh should i put that on there i do try and hold back a little bit but then i'm also like well this is me and if you don't like it then you can go away um and yeah opening yourself up it is a scary thing but i think because i don't I have a bit of a following, but it's not huge compared to a lot of other people where I think it would be more daunting for them. Um, So at the moment, it's kind of like, it's nice and I like it because my blog thing is only new and it's just somewhere where I can write about something that's too long for Instagram and that no one will read. And my blog is like, if people really want to read it, they'll go and enjoy it. And if no one, there are a few people that do uh, read it, which is nice and they let me know. Um, And yeah, it's just, I don't know, I've... I've never really been too scared to put myself out there. I don't know why, but it's just...
1: That's just part of your personality. Yeah. yeah. So in the messages that you do put out there, are they messages that you maybe think you needed to hear when you were younger? Mm. And is that partly why you do it?
0: Yeah, I didn't think about that. Definitely. Um, When I was young, I am still quite young, but Instagram only really started when I was 15, 16, but it wasn't huge you didn't have these big followers, you didn't have making your own Instagram accounts all of that, it was just literally you'd put whatever photo, you put a picture of a flower up and like you'd get a few likes, it was nothing but now that that's about and it's so much more prevalent, these younger kids, especially my school kids, as a teacher, my school kids the stuff that I hear from them like oh I wish I looked like her, or, I wish I looked like this and blah 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 and I wasn't even like that, I used to be like that even two years ago I used to be like I want to be like this person, I want to be like that person and through Instagram, I found that everyone has their own body. Everyone has their own personality. You don't want to be like someone else. You want to have your own. You want to be your own. You want to not. You want to be that random person. You don't want to be like a sheep, really. If that makes sense. Um, don't
1: want to follow the herd.
0: Yeah, don't want to follow the herd. And I've definitely become that. I'm my own person. I don't really care what people think. I don't care if they judge. Um, I am. A, once you get to know me, I'm a very weird person. A lot of my friends say. Um, and I don't care, like, it's just who I am. And I think when I was younger, I got worried about that at times and there were certain people who I wouldn't show it to, like the popular kids at school and things like that and I would be scared to put myself out there and I know kids these days, they're worrying about what their makeup makeup looks like or, like, my year sevens, they're drawing in their eyebrows now. Like, I never did that when I was younger and it's just all of this that I think needs to be out there and because they use Instagram, they use Twitter... Snapchat all that these influencers who have a bigger following and that they follow do need to show this I think and I would have loved that when I was a kid because yeah maybe things could have been a little bit different I was a because I think of that I am a very shy person when you first get to meet me and I think if I had heard these messages then it would have been a little bit different
1: exactly yeah and speaking of daunting things as well as people will tell from your accent you are from Australia yeah and you moved over here to Chelmsford yeah that As daunting moves go, coming to a new place for the first time where there's, there's no university, there's no onus on you to actually go and meet people, mm. scary, but how do you manage that? Is it just a case of throwing <laughs> yourself I, yeah, out there? Yeah,
0: it was just literally that. Um, my first few friends were through my agency who were also from Australia, but they all lived in London, and so I couldn't really see them all the time. Um, and then my next few friends were my housemates, and... Izzy and Richard and they became my two really good friends and it was just me literally going let's go out for a drink because I hadn't gone out in Chelmsford it wasn't for a few months where I was like okay, I need to find friends in Chelmsford because otherwise it's going to get boring and I'm not going to like it Um, and so this new girl moved in and I was like hey, want to go for a drink? that turned into a night out, Richard joined us and now we're inseparable pretty much and and then the school, when new teachers came I obviously met them, but to be fair I've met a lot of my friends that are here through Instagram and doing meetups and just literally going okay we're going to Body Power in Birmingham who wants to join and you'd go and meet them at train station for the first time and then you became friends like it's I was so thankful and a lot of people questioned my Instagram but if I didn't have it then I wouldn't have a as many friends here in UK as I have and a lot of them have influenced my life so Yeah
1: everyone great. talks about social media and there yeah. are downsides there's yeah. but there's upsides as well. Yeah, and if you definitely. use it in the right way, yeah. It can have such a positive, which is exactly. what you're talking about there. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose is the overriding message then from this chat and from yeah. the messages you put out there is don't don't be afraid, basically.
0: Yeah. And I think through my surgery, it became, I was a lot more confident. I went to boarding school, I then went straight to uni. I then came straight here. I haven't lived at home for 10 years. I haven't lived at home since I was 14. So it's, that as well has helped. But my surgery, I got a lot more confident. Um, I was a lot, and through all of that and just putting myself out there and not being worried about what people think or worrying about that I'm gonna fail um, and just giving it a go yeah and
1: it makes you a stronger person yeah it it. makes
0: you so much stronger definitely absolutely
1: and with that we better wrap up this latest episode of the podcast (laughs) and thank you so much Alex for
0: thank you for having me
1: coming on and also speaking so openly about what you've been through both surgery wise Mm. and also fitness wise as well and I think there's a lot of positive messages uh, that people can take from this so thank you so much well thank you Essex Live on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram, or go to our website, EssexLive.news. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. <laughs>